so, listen, y'all, we've got a mountain of really thick and rich theological uh, meat to climb um, or, or to eat, I guess. So we need to, uh, to jump straight in Bible study style today. Um, so let's start by bringing us up to speed. If you weren't even here last week, we'll bring you up to speed with a little bit of intro for what Ephesians and the first couple verses of Ephesians are especially about. So the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus. And the Christians to whom Paul is writing, they're mostly what we call Gentiles, meaning they were not Jewish before they became Christians. And they're living in a pretty difficult culture in the city of Ephesus, uh, at least difficult for Christians, because Ephesus was at the time a top five largest city in the world, uh, kind of a mix of Amsterdam, Vegas, and Oxford sort of rolled up into one. I considered saying Asheville. That sort of seemed to fit. Uh, but keep Asheville weird. Um, so here we are, these Ephesian Christians who were set apart called out to be holy for God's purposes. They were living in a culture that was filled with pagan sexual uh, rituals and practices and idolatrous cults uh, and emerging worship of the Roman emperor as well as pretty sophisticated Greco-Roman education, learning, and philosophy. Which is to say they were in a very small minority in a very large and worldly city that was dominated by pagan and idolatrous worship practices. So Paul's trying to encourage them in Ephesians, he's trying to encourage them in that context to remember as they would need to and as we do in a similar kind of context that God himself is the source of our calling as Christians. And what we mean by calling isn't just some sort of future vocational thing that happens after we're saved. Like, what's my calling in life? How do I use my resources and my gifts for God's glory and for the kingdom in the here and now and in the future? We don't just mean that. In fact, we need to simmer around the idea that each one of us first has been called in the first place by God himself from death to life, sinner to saint. We have something in Jesus that is true that he's called us out of in the world that requires us simmering with and understanding deeply. In fact, the word ecclesia, which became the word church, means called out ones. So we were first, those who are believers, first called out of the world to be in Christ. That's a shorthand Paul phrase for everything we have in salvation. We were first called out to be in Christ before we're called and gifted and resources, resourced to live for Christ. We're going to sit on this point because, frankly, in various ways, Paul sits on this point for the first three chapters. So don't get all application happy without first marinating in the truths that we're covering about what we have in Christ. To build a church, a marriage, a family, a life that does what's faithful to what God's given us requires first understanding that we've been called from death to life, sinner to saint. So that's the first and most important calling 
that we need to recognize. And that's where Paul begins in the first verse. Look at this, Ephesians 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, this is from him to the Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, apostle of Christ Jesus there means called from his previous uh, sort of vocation as a murderous sinner, as a murderous sinner who persecuted the Christians to this new life of a church founding apostle. Look at Acts 9 for more of that backstory. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, who now is called to something in Christ. How did that happen? Next phrase, by the will of God. It's not Paul's power, it's God's power. And he says it's the same with you, not just like with me, but with you. Paul says, to the saints who are set apart and holy for God's purposes, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, meaning they have faith in Jesus as the object of their faith instead of self. And then here's the encouragement, verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts out this whole book by saying, listen, for those of y'all living in Ephesus or Asheville or Afton or Greenville, uh, God's saving grace and the peace that brought you from death to life, it is the source of your power for your ongoing set-apartness, for being holy for God's purpose. So don't get all application happy and jump ahead before understanding who you are now in Christ. He says, friends, fellow saints who are called to live as light in a world of darkness, you must be rooted in Christ first. You must understand what you have in Jesus in order to faithfully work out what that means in the world. Because you're going to have to recall, you have to remember these foundational truths about, about from what and to what God has called you from sinner to saint and death to life in order to remain rooted in God's purposes for your life in an ongoing way. So in keeping with what we just said about not getting too uh, application happy, in three through six, in chapter one here, Paul goes even deeper into this idea that God's called us from death to life. He goes deeper into the roots of our calling by looking into the Father's intention to save his children, to, to show us, to show you, <laughs> to show you, to show us the lengths and the extent to which God the Father goes to make us his children. Jump in, verse three. He says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Press pause, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three is the beginning of one big, huge, long sentence that ends in verse 14. This entire passage, 3 through 14, is really thick with uh, very theologically rich and deeply profound stuff. And it's like in this section, Paul's sort of stumbling over himself to try to include everything that we have in Christ. He's trying to include everything he can. So it's going to take us three weeks uh, to climb this meat mountain <laughs> or eat our way to the top. So in verse three starts here with the praise of God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul starts by emphasizing the first of three persons of the Trinity, God the Father. Next week will be God the Son, meaning Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit will be the next week, and we'll talk about how God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all collaborative 
collaborating perfectly in a way from 3 through 14, which shows us the length and extent of God's love to save us. It's pretty cool. So, we start with a note of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he deserve that praise? Keep reading. He has blessed us in Christ. Notice it's in the past tense. Has blessed us. Meaning he has already given, graciously given to believers from his own goodness and by the person of Jesus what they didn't deserve and what we could never earn. And with what has he blessed us when he provided Jesus? Keep reading. He's blessed us with every every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So think about this. If you're a believer, he's already, past tense, he has blessed us. He's already blessed you in Christ, not just with a few spiritual blessings that you can add on to because you're amazing in order to get what you have to have in Christ, right? It says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's all-inclusive. In Jesus, in the heavenly realms, God has given us everything we need that exists to be had and that is necessary for salvation. 12 times in verses 3 through 12, Paul hits this theme of our spiritual blessings, our union with Christ, to say over and over and over again in this entire passage from 3 through 14, but really in 3 through 12, spiritual blessing, spiritual blessing, spiritual blessing. This is what you get in Jesus. Which means, shorthand, in the heavenly places where the fullness of God's presence is, which is a place where there can't be sin, right? In the fullness of God's presence, Christ alone stands for us to give us what we have to have to be in God's presence. So we have every spiritual blessing in Christ so that we can be holy and blameless before him. So we can stand with Christ with every spiritual blessing that he gives us in the heavenly places with God the Father. That's really amazing. Everything we could ever need to be in God's presence that we couldn't earn, that we don't deserve, that we rejected because of our condemnation, because we have said, I know what to do with my life and God doesn't. Everything that we need to make up for that is given to us in Jesus. We like to say, if you're united, if you're identified with Christ, then you have Christ's sinless status in the place where there is fullness of the presence of God. That's a place where no sin or evil can be, which is, which is really amazing. No wonder he begins with glory and praise and honor to God. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Keep reading, it gets better. Not only does having Christ mean we have everything needed, but that was God's plan from the beginning. Look at this, verse four. 
He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, verse four, even as he chose us in him, meaning God set his love upon us, upon his children, by giving us spiritual blessings in Christ. And when did he do this? Look at this, before the foundation of the world. And why did he do this? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Again, don't get application happy. Don't get skipping ahead to this idea that holy and blameless means I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world because God wants me to live a holy, righteous life. Of course he wants that from you. (laughs) But what he's saying is, you are counted as holy and righteous and blameless before God because of these spiritual blessings in Christ. So he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. What he's saying is that before, before any one of us had ever sinned or knew we needed Jesus, God set his love on his believers, on his people, on his children, so that we would be counted righteous, holy, and blameless before him. That's why, that's why Paul praises God here at the beginning. Because God has planned all along to save you in Jesus when you couldn't save yourself. This is actually a very comforting and a reassuring truth to know that God had plans to save you from yourself before you even were yourself. That's how messed up we are and how holy he is. We require a holy, perfect, sinless God to do for us what we couldn't possibly for ourselves. And it was his plan all along. Keep reading. In love, verse five, in love he predestined us. Okay, press pause. (laughs) So, predestination. Why are we doing Ephesians? We don't have time to truly unpack this word and everything that it means, uh, this fun and very controversial word. Um, And parenthetically, uh, with grave apologies to um, every single one of my spiritual forebears and every member of my family and six of the seven churches I've been a part of, here's some hopefully helpful thoughts to make your ride home uh, and your life group discussion time lively this week. Let's talk about predestination. This word predestination, it occurs six times in the New Testament and at its most basic, its most foundational level, It means to decide beforehand, to predetermine. All of the major important Greek lexicons agree on this basic definition. So it means to decide beforehand or to predetermine and with respect to God and his work in salvation, it refers to his secret will, meaning the purposes that that are known to him alone and how all that works out, it refers to his will, not just to put together the world in some way that sort of deistically he lets go of, but in a way that providentially he sovereignly oversees so that it results in the salvation of his people. I know that's a mouthful, but it's basically a way to say that God ensures that his will, his desires for his people will actually work to save them. 
So predestination is used primarily to speak of the working out of God's secret will in the salvation of his people. There's no place in the New Testament where decide beforehand refers to human will. And when you add it to the idea that God chooses, that's in this passage here, it's in a bunch of other passages, passages too, when you add to this idea of uh, predestination, the idea that God chooses or elects his people, it implies that from eternity past, before we were born, before anything we've done, God set his gracious and unconditional covenant love on those he intends to save, like God fulfills his promises. So to give you some flavor for how this works out in Scripture in a bunch of places and, and what predestination entails and what it implies, I want you to look at a few passages. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. We'll put these on screen because there are a number of them to talk about here. This is Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8a. God speaking to his people in the Old Testament. He says, For you are a people holy, set apart, to the Lord your God for his purposes. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and he chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. In other words, it's not because of you, but because of me that I chose you, God says here. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. <laughs> Which is a way of saying, your salvation doesn't depend on your amazingness, your goodness, your smartness, your ability. It can't. It won't. It depends on God's faithfulness to his promises. 1 Corinthians 2.7, where Paul is speaking of our role in proclaiming Christ, he says this, we impart, we communicate, a secret and wi hidden wisdom of God, the mystery of God's plan to reveal Christ, which God decreed, same word as predestined, which God decreed before the ages, why? For our glory. In Matthew 25, 34, this is Jesus speaking of the end times. It says, when the Son of Man will return in glory. So it's his second coming. This is Jesus speaking. He says, then, meaning at my second coming, Jesus speaking, the King, meaning Jesus, King Jesus will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, meaning those who are blessed with every spiritual blessing, come, you who are blessed by my Father, look at this, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, when? From the foundation of the world. This implies a beforehand decision from God the Father and the working out of a plan to ensure that his children inherit the kingdom that's promised. In Matthew eleven twenty seven 27, and a few other places, uh, Jesus doesn't use the word predestined, but he does verbalize a roughly synonymous concept when he says this, Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. He says, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, to reveal the Father. The ESV, the NIV, the NLT, the KJV, and the NKJV all retain the idea in this verse that the will of the Son, as an application of God's plan, that the will of the Son results in knowing the Father. In John 6, 44, Jesus says this, no one can come to me. That word can there is the word dunamis, dynamic, powerful, same thing, which means 
No one has the power, the might, the strength, the force, or the ability to come to him, look at the rest of it, unless the Father who sent me draws him. In verse 65 of that same chapter, in John 6, Jesus says the same thing. No one can come to me unless it is granted, unless it's given by the Father. A whole bunch of places in Ephesians that we'll get to eventually talk about the gift of grace. When you're given a gift, what do you do? You receive it. Now, five summary thoughts on this whole God-decreed-beforehand idea, because it's a controversial concept in Christianity. Uh, The overwhelming majority of us probably grew up uh, in churches um, that didn't exactly talk about predestination the way I just did. So five thoughts for us here uh, before we move on to the text. Some people take um, this word predestined and they put it together uh, with a word foreordained uh, or foreknown. Uh, Foreordained and predestined are basically the same exact word. Uh, Just translate a couple different ways. Um, And they also take this word foreknowledge. They put those together and they think of these as a concept that's called simple foreknowledge which is the idea that God knows beforehand who will choose him, not that he chooses people beforehand. Now, that's not where I am on the question. (laughs) I think it means more than simple foreknowledge for a number of reasons. In fact, I think it's logically impossible, follow this, this is a little bit heady. I think it's logically impossible for an all-knowing and an all-powerful God to not necessarily also be and provide the means for anyone's salvation. But those who believe differently than me are still, just as I am, doing their best to understand God's word and to live accordingly. People who believe differently than me on this, they're Christians. By the way, I am also a Christian. So even if we disagree on some of these particulars about how this has worked out, we can still both be brothers and sisters, and we should be, for the sake of the unity of the mission of the body in the world. So that's the first thought. Second is this. Um, (laughs) I don't mean this to sound uh, accusatory um, at all because it's going to sound a little like I'm simply saying the other side of this theological debate, they've maligned and misunderstood this word, which I think they have. But I don't just mean that. I don't just mean that. Here's what what I want to say with this. We do not, none of us, has the luxury of avoiding anything in Scripture. We just don't. If we're going to be faithful to, to Scripture, we don't just get to pass over the word. We all have to account for it in ways with that fit with the rest of scripture. Um, So second thought is no one has the luxury of avoiding anything in scripture. Third thing is that predestination, it often creates more questions in us than it answers because it refers to God's secret will that is only known to him fully and is only partially known to us and we don't know as much of it as we'd like. Why are you even talking about it? Because it's in the text. Six times in the New Testament. So we don't just skip over it, even if it does create questions in us. What we want to do is create questions that help us think about who God is and what he's done. 
So it, even though it often creates more questions in us than it answers, <laughs> keep in mind, for everyone, there's a huge amount of stuff. This is going to sound simple to say, but it's true. There's a huge amount of stuff God knows that we do not know. We just have to all, we just have to all live from that truth. I know that sounds simple, but it's important to remember so that we can approach and understand and think about hard concepts with grace and humility. Fourth thing, uh, predestination does not negate human responsibility to respond. It doesn't do away with human responsibility to respond to God's grace. It doesn't negate human responsibility for us as believers to grow. And it doesn't negate our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. We don't really have time here to show where scriptures make all these things clear, and, and I don't have time to explain um, how those things I just said are not contradictory with what I've already said about predestination. But suffice it to say, no matter where you are on what this word means and how it's applied and what the context is, we all have a responsibility to respond to God's grace, to grow as a Christian, and to proclaim the gospel faithfully. And then lastly, it's just an invitation, number five. Uh, if you want to keep talking about these things, come join us at Great Questions on Monday nights at our Greenville campus from 7.30 to 8.30. Uh, we talk about a bunch of cool, nerdy, and theological and biblical questions, so uh, come join us. All right, there's much more we can say about all this, but we need to get through verse six um, so that I can go home and eat tortilla chips and watch soccer. No, really, that's my plan. So to summarize where we are in the text up to this point, because of God's plan to set his unconditional love and to carry out his promises to his children, look at this, verse five, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, as daughters, as children. In other words, his love was set upon us so that he could bring us into his family, so that we could have all the legal rights and privileges of the son, so that we could stand before him as holy and blameless. That's why he's done this, so that we could be a part, so the believers could be a part of his family where he is father and we are his children. And he did this, keep reading, through Jesus Christ, he's brought you into this family through Jesus according to the purpose of his will so that he would be praised to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's a capital B in a lot of translations because it refers to Jesus. Friends, in Jesus, in the beloved, we have everything we need and the Father's purpose all along has been to receive praise and glory and honor that only he is due. How? Through the demonstration of his grace, from the working out of his purposes and his promises that ensure the salvation of his children. That's, that's an amazing vision for the world that we get to be a part of if we call him Father. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we are grateful to you uh, that you know that you have power, that you are uh, in ultimate control of what happens 
such that we could know you and call you Father and be your children and depend on the blood of Jesus to save us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. For extending grace when we didn't deserve it and when we couldn't earn it. Lord, were it it up to us, we would be lost. We would be dead in our trespasses and sins. But we give you praise and honor and glory that we can we can rest we can take comfort in the amazing truth that you have provided for ourselves provided for us what we could not for ourselves we love you for that and we give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus